For those that may be listening for the first time, our podcast is an offshoot from our main platform, YouTube. Our channel is called Coffee and Bible Time, where our goal is to help people delight in God's word and thrive in Christian living. We also have a website and storefront with Bible studies, prayer journals, courses, and more. And I'm so excited to tell you about our brand new in-depth Bible study academy. Have you always wished that you knew how to study your Bible in-depthly for yourself, but you just don't have time to go to Bible college? Well, join us this year as we adventure through 12 different courses designed to give you the background and the tools to study the Bible for yourselves. You can find out more information about the Academy on our website at coffeeandbibletime.com. I'm Mentor Mama, and today we are going to be talking about how to bring color and life to our Bible study time. You know, a fun fact is that the Bible is the highest selling and most read book in all of the world, but so many of us get stuck in a rut when we approach this gift from God. Instead of feeling inspired and energized when we read it, you might feel confused or frustrated and get disenchanted. Well, that's definitely not how God wants us to feel after reading his word. So today, our guest, Bible scholar and lover of God's word, James Coakley, is here to open our eyes to the beautiful way in which God communicates with us to share practical strategies to pull us out of that rut. So James Coakley is the author of 14 Fresh Ways to Enjoy the Bible, which we will be discussing today. He has taught at Moody Bible Institute for over 20 years in both the seminary and undergraduate school. He is a frequent tour leader to Bible lands and a frequent guest on several Moody radio programs. He's also contributed to the Moody Bible Commentary and the Moody Handbook of Messianic Prophecy. He is married to Gail and has two adult children and three grandchildren and resides in Chicago, Illinois. Please welcome James. Oh, it's great to be here and great to be part of the uh, the program here and uh, excited about our topic. And I know that uh, you are as well. So that's uh, what makes it fun. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Our mission here is to help people delight in God's word. And when I saw the title of your book, I was like, oh, this is so awesome. Just like new, refreshing ways to look at God's word. I know that um, when I knew you were coming on our program, I right away asked my two daughters if they had had you for class. And my older daughter, Ashley, said, yes, I had him for Life in Bible Times and Old Testament biblical theology. And yeah, she thought you were wonderful. She goes, but he probably won't remember me because that was when we all had to wear masks. Yeah, that was (laughs) getting our face covered. I bet it's hard. It was hard, yeah, because after the masks were removed, I couldn't hardly recognize students, even though I had them in class because I never saw their face. I know that must have been so hard, but she said you were amazing and Taylor's boyfriend had you for hermeneutics and said you were one of his favorite teachers. So you come highly, highly appreciated. Well, it's it's an honor to be a part of the program and uh, grateful for the students and their uh, accolades. Well, you point out that the Bible is the most read book in all the world, but 
sadly, it's not read well. Tell us what you mean by that. What I mean by that is I think uh, we have a lot of good, good, great tools to help us study the Bible, but I don't think we have a lot that helps people how to read the Bible. Now, what I mean by that is just what to look for is you're reading through the text, uh, things that you can then use for further study down the road once you begin to kind of pick up what the biblical authors are doing. And so basically, this is really just looking at great literary techniques that all communicators use, looking for their presence in the Bible uh, because they're there with intentionality. Uh, and then once we begin to notice their presence, I think that people's uh, kind of personal interest in reading uh, the text uh, comes to life. And that's really what it's done for me. And I know it's done for a lot of others as well. Yes, absolutely. I love how you said in the book, it kind of, your your reading of the Bible goes from black and white to being in color because it's adding so much depth of interest. Yeah, and part of my, my real interest is to try to listen to the heartbeat of the text. Oftentimes, we kind of come to the Bible with our questions, and the Bible is great. It can address a lot of our concerns and questions and issues that we have. But I think it's a little bit uh, kind of arrogant, might I say, if we only use it to answer our questions. Uh, I want to sit at its feet. I want to listen to what it has to say first. It's kind of like most good uh, relationships say, well, you want to listen to what the other person is saying and repeat back to them before you you know, get in with your in exchange. And I think that's what it is. I want to have that kind of encounter when I come to the Bible. I want to read what the biblical author is trying to get me to focus on. And then once I do that, and I feel like I get a good handle on that, then we can have further dialogue, as it were, about some of the other issues or concerns or questions that come up along the way. Hmm, excellent point. Was there something specific that inspired you to, to write this book? 14 fresh ways? Yeah, I think just over the years, I think the, the standard kind of way of, you know, interpretation, you know, which is observation, interpretation, application, uh, has been very serviceable in terms of giving kind of the roadmap for how to, you know, try to unpack what the Bible is saying. Uh, but it, it always felt like I was kind of uh, still kind of making decisions about where the text is going. And I wanted to kind of have a little bit more inside track. And so just kind of being aware that over the years that the same communication techniques that good communicators use are found in the Bible was was so eye-opening to me. And then to realize, mm -hmm. oh, they're not there just for aesthetics or for beauty. They're there really to help you to kind of track uh, what is the on the, the heart and mind of the biblical authors. And then we can, what I say, stay in a lane. I can stay in that lane uh, more readily rather than get off track with, you know, maybe secondary or other issues that are not primary in the, in the text. And now I feel like I, I'm hearing that heartbeat of the biblical text much more readily. Mm. Yes. Oh, that's, and that's really what we're trying to get at too, right? Yeah. And I think that's, you know, it is good that we have these kind of questions that we come. I call them curiosity questions. Uh, but I want to have text-centered questions. I want to have an engaging kind of interaction with the biblical text. And all you have to do is have some basic kind of questions that we have about why is this passage next to this? Why is this character allowed to speak? 
uh, in direct speech instead of the narrator summarizing it? Uh, why is this uh, the same content at the beginning and ending of books? Uh, why is this chronologically out of order? Uh, when we think about the way that we write uh, and listen to history today. And so all these things, then all of a sudden, every time I observe those techniques, there is a aha moment that came along with them. And then it's like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm picking up the breadcrumbs that the biblical author has, has put down for me to follow. Hmm. That's so, it just, yeah, it had such an enrichment to what's already there when you look for these these extra things, sort of, if you will. Will you provide suggestions on how to read this book for maximum benefit? Yes. Tell us, tell us what they are. Like, what is this book and what is it not? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's really not a complete hermeneutics book or how to study the Bible, how to interpret the Bible kind of book. Uh, there's plenty of good books out there. Uh, though it will help certainly to, you know, to help people stay, you know, in the right position to be able to do that. But it's really about how to read, uh, what to look for as you read and how to become a more active reader. Uh, because so many of us are passive readers. Uh, we understand the importance and the value of God's word. And so we just want to read it. And we just kind of then kind of let those words just kind of come into our mind. But we don't have this engaging kind of relationship with what's going on in the text. And so by just having some basic kind of understanding of the literary techniques of how these authors wrote these things, then makes me more active. Because now I'm saying, oh, what's going on here? And I'm looking for certain things. Why is this repeated? Mm -hmm. uh, why is this, you know, wh what's the importance of the content that's at the very beginning of the book? And all of a sudden, uh, you, you have a much more engaging, because I now have a relationship and a dialogue, as it were, with the text. Now, I certainly want the text to be dominant, uh, but I also feel like I shouldn't just be so passive where I don't feel like I can push back and say, what's going on here? What are you up to, biblical author? What are you foregrounding? What are you not saying? Or what are you saying uh, that can help me to uh, to focus on uh, on truth that will really revolutionize and, and really help me to live uh, a more godly life? Yes. Oh. Absolutely. So just to be clear for our listeners, it's this is not a book on how to study the Bible, but it's going to enrich your understanding and help you look for, for different things that will only cause you to, to be more excited and want to know more and enrich your understanding. I know that happened to me this morning, but I'm going to say All that right. for a little bit later. <laughs> well, that's the, the beauty well, of it as well, is that it gives you some handles. Uh, sometimes we just have, you know, especially when we're studying God's word in a small group or in a, in a church, uh, we can we can kind of have these kind of labels that I use in the ch each chapter, and that kind of gives ownership. Uh, and also, you don't have to go into a long kind of uh, description of what we're seeing here. We can all kind of instantly kind of understand, oh, okay, we're dealing with direct speech. Instead of calling it direct speech, it's kind of formal. Uh, let's just call it step up to the mic. Uh, and all of a sudden, then we we get it. Oh, there's quotation marks. And we ask that question. Why is this character speaking now? And uh, it really does uh, help perk up your reading, but also in a small group study, really make it uh, more fun and, and more engaging for everyone to participate. 
Oh, yes. I was thinking the very same thing when, when I was looking at the book, just how great this would be to do together as a small group. And I think, um, but I, I didn't even think of it in terms of, like you just said, having each person sort of dissect the same passage from one of these vantage points. And it, that would be really, really cool. Well, okay. So you just mentioned one of the ways with um, your micro. What just step up to the mic. The step yeah. up to the mic. Okay. So tell us, maybe give us another example of one of the ways that you suggest will will maximize enjoyment levels for Bible. Probably readers. the one that kind of got me started uh, way back uh, years ago uh, is the one I call first impressions. Because it, once I saw this, it's like, oh, my, how come I didn't see this before? Nobody else has really talked about this. Now, if we paid attention in English literature classes, we might have picked up on some of these things. Uh, but now just applying some of those things to the reading of biblical narratives uh, really does help. And basically what that is, is looking for three things, really simple, uh, three things when you encounter a character in the narratives. That is... What are their first actions? What do we first see that character doing? Uh, and then also, what are the first words that we have recorded that comes out of their mouth? Now, we know that they spoke uh, before that, but the text that we read uh, puts then a quotation mark around their first kind of words that you and I read when we come across the Bible. Uh, it's kind of the same thing for film. You know, when you are watching a film and you're introduced to characters, what are the first words that come out of their mouth can be really helpful for that. But then also the last the te uh, thing to look for is any physical description, uh, because the Bible is, is not going to give a whole lot of description uh, about a lot of things, including what a person looked like. But when it does, it's, it's really helpful to kind of uh, pay attention to that and kind of tease that out as to why would that level of specificity or that detail uh, be a part of that. And oftentimes it is a component, especially of tension in the text. Uh, so, for instance, all the attractive characters in the Bible seem to have problems. And so uh, if you come across somebody being described as attractive or, or handsome or beautiful, uh, look out because chances are that's going to be, you know, a point of contention in the story. And it's kind of cueing you. And really, this all falls under the category of what we might call characterization, uh, how biblical authors portray people in the text. And so the ways that they do it are the three things I just talked about, physical description, uh, dialogue or words that come out of that mouth, uh, and what do we see them doing? And so when we look at a character like Moses, uh, and we look at him and we see his first actions as he's an adult, is that he's looking this way and that way and seeing nobody, he kills an Egyptian who was beating up on one of the Hebrews. Uh, and so we see his first actions. Uh, his first words are, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew the next day? Uh, and all of a sudden we see, oh, those actions and those words characterize him as compassionate and very uh, much a, a person who is very law driven, somebody who's justice oriented. And we see those things in those early encounters with his actions and his words. And that portrays Moses the rest of the way. Uh, but we also see that fear and we see that anger. Uh, and those negative traits are also present. And those also show up down the road as well. And so paying attention to what I say, that first impressions, because the author is trying to give a little portrait, a little photograph, as it were. And just by picking up on those things can help you 
to kind of already be thinking about, hmm, what's making this person tick? Uh, what motivates them? Uh, and it can really engage your reading because then you're looking for examples of where uh, those early impressions then are, are played out. Sure. Well, I'm so glad you picked that one because I, I want you to give me a grade here. <laughs> Professor right. Coakley, because this morning, this I think I was really trying to apply it. I'm in Acts and it's talking about when Paul appears before Festus and it, I believe it's the first time Festus, which is the governor of Judea, was introduced. And it was interesting, like even the first um, sentence in this chapter says, three days after Festus arrived, which he was just taking over from um, the previous ruler. So I, at first, so I like circled three days and like, well, maybe that's, gosh, that's maybe he's very prompt. And then interesting later on, there's two other times where um, another time says I didn't delay. And he's talking about um, bringing the case to Paul. And then the last one um, he's talking about, uh, presenting Paul to Herod Agrippa and he replied, you will tomorrow. Like there were three different instances, like just then kind of learning. I was that kind of what you mean? Like I, three times I see right. he's like, he gets down to business, right? Yeah, no, that's the, that would fall under what I call a time management. Uh, and so, ah, that's the time uh, management one. Okay. Uh, you know, clock management that is, you know, like in a sports game, a coach at the end of a basketball game can slow down or speed up the action, depending on if they want to uh, keep the advantage of the points uh, or try to prevent the other team from, from scoring. Uh, and so biblical authors can speed up or slow down, uh, but then they can also bring in these timestamps uh, to kind of keep uh, keep that pacing going at a certain way. But also, as you notice, to kind of portray, uh, you know, people in certain ways, whether on whether they do it uh, immediately or whether they wait. Uh, and so, yeah, no, there's uh, there's so much going on in the book of Acts. And uh, yeah, you're beginning oh. to, to pick up on that. And the notion is, is oftentimes, too, it's, there's another chapter called Deja Vu, where all of a sudden, if we compare the life of Paul at the end of his life with the life of Jesus, all of a sudden you see so many comparisons. Mm -hmm. There's three trials. Uh, they both appear before three courts. Uh, and all of a sudden it's like, hmm, that's more than coincidence. So you're seeing Paul presented as someone who is like Christ. And so that's what Paul is saying. I'm suffering just like Jesus suffered. Mm -hmm. uh, but then there's also a meal uh, with bread uh, before a night of uh, where death is going to occur or, uh, with Paul at the ship. Uh, and all of a sudden we see all of these parallels between Paul and Jesus. And basically, I think it's signaling to us, the reader, that we are, if we're going to be like Paul and like Jesus, we should expect, you know, in a sense, suffering to kind of come along with that. And uh, so even the, it's not spelled out that way. It's like, you're going to suffer like I am going to suffer. It's just laid out in the details of the narrative. And that's uh, what makes stories kind of fun, but also very challenging because we're used to epistles that tell us straight out what we should think or do or, or believe. But narratives uh, mm -hmm. kind of just show these characters live out their lives. And we have to look for the, the lessons, the messages, the themes, the application uh, through looking through uh, the details of how the story is told. Yes. Oh, 
that's incredible. Wow. That's, that's a study for a whole, whole nother day. You're looking at all those similarities. Well, that's the thing. I want and, people to realize that just with these techniques, the Bible is opening up constantly to me now. Uh, you don't have to read commentaries as much as I love having, you can see, I got some books behind me. I love resources, <laughs> uh, but I want people to, to be able to see this on their own. Uh, and so just by having, you know, just an awareness of these techniques and be looking for them uh, really does uh, make you uh, more able to uh, kind of uh, look for the themes and applications that are right in line with what the biblical author is focusing on. Hmm. Well, do you have one that's a favorite of yours? Yeah, they're all like my babies, so uh, they're all there. But I think the one that really kind of uh, stands out to me kind of quite a bit is bookends, uh, which is where content at the beginning and ending of a book or even the whole Bible uh, begins and ends with the same way. I mean, the whole thing of Genesis 1 to 4 is mirrored in Revelation 18 to 22. So many parallels between the two. So Alpha and Omega, uh, beginning and the end, uh, we see, you know, things about water and, and trees and all those kind of things. Uh, but the idea is, is that, you know, even the simple one like Matthew's gospel, it begins by telling about Jesus. His name shall be called Emmanuel. For God, that means God with us. And then you get to the last chapter, the Great Commission passage, where Jesus takes his disciples and he takes them up on a high mountain and he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And lo, I am with you always. And so the idea of God's presence is at the beginning and end. Uh, they're technically called an inclusio, but we just call them bookends. And they, it's amazing how many books of the Bible begin and end with similar content. And then it helps the reader then not just to say, oh, isn't that nice? Isn't that beautiful? Uh, but it really helps to kind of set a theme that you can look for then in the middle of the book. And all of a sudden you can be tracking then as you're reading Matthew, looking for other examples of where God's presence is a element in the, in the account. And all of a sudden, then your Bible is fresh and uh, you're really then picking up uh, the, the, the data, the breadcrumbs, as it were, that the biblical author wants you to be focusing on. Yes, yes, absolutely. I know something. Learn what theology is and how to study God within the Bible in course number seven of our In-Depth Bible Study Academy. In this academically built course, you will learn the tools to study God's character and nature within a Bible passage and how to grow closer to God relationally through Bible study. This course titled Theology, Knowing God Through In-Depth Bible Study is packed with teaching lessons, homework, quizzes, and a resource list for personal study. Head to our website, coffeeandbibletime.com, to learn more about the Academy and course number seven today. Use promo code CBT Podcast, that's CBT Podcast, to get 50% off this course right now at coffeeandbibletime.com. Else, it stuck out to me with your first impressions one, too, was just that the author of these books of the Bible, they have so many things they could have said, but what they did say yep. right, is really significant. And that's, uh, you know, that's why paying attention to the step up to the mic, paying attention 
uh, to where a character speaks in a story because the narrator, the author, can summarize the whole account without letting us hear the character's own words. But then when they uh, turn over the microphone, just like you and I are having a conversation and you ask a question, you turn it over to me, I respond, people can see and hear, you know, my interests, my concerns, my uh, thinking. And so it, it helps them to kind of, you know, really zero in on what the more salient or important, important points are. Uh, and so the biblical authors can't say everything about everything. Uh, and so when they do say something, it's there for us to kind of look at. So even uh, when we think about clock management, the whole life of Abraham is 175 years. But there's only about 25 years that we really focus on. And then there's a 13-year kind of missing gap in that thing when Ishmael is uh, born to when uh, Isaac is born. And so there's only about 12 years out of 175 that the biblical text really uh, foregrounds. And so then it's like, well, we're not getting the full biography of Abraham. We're getting select incidents from a small little window of his life. Why? Because it focuses on faith and obedience, the lessons that the biblical author Moses wants us to uh, be, uh, be thinking about as we read through the life of this man, Abraham. Yes. And I find that really encouraging to think of it that way, because I feel like sometimes we get frustrated, like, oh, why didn't they tell us more? For example, like Jesus's life, like, I want to know more. And but instead, we can say, okay, let's really look at what they did tell us, because this must be really important. Well, that's even John's gospel says that there's many more things I could have written about. Uh, but these things I have written, again, all the miracles, all the I am statements, I have written that you might believe. And I think that's really then is a helpful thing for me as a reader to realize that, oh, these are not just stories. These are not just accounts of people, places, and events. They're meant to do something uh, when I read them. They're meant to en encourage me to think about uh, my walk and to think about my actions, my attitudes. And it's not just a one-for-one, -one, you know, be like this character, or be don't be like this other character. Uh, but it really is more thinking about the nuance about how these texts all come together. So for me, the Cain and Abel story, uh, I use as an example of what I call launching pad. That story sets up so many themes for uh, not just the book of Genesis, but for the whole Pentateuch and even the Bible. And one of the themes is brother's keeper. Uh, and so, you know, the whole emphasis, again, you can say that again, chapter talks about repetition. Brother is mentioned seven times in that uh, passage, but it's all about what's going on there. Why is that Cain and Abel story there? Well, it's not just history. It is, I believe it, but it is also meant to have the reader think about their relationship with their uh, fellow humans. Uh, and so even when Moses is writing uh, the final pages, as it were, of the Pentateuch, uh, I think the idea of brother's keeper should be resonating in the minds of Reuben and Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh as they're on the other side wanting to just be content with that space. But no, Moses is basically uh, encouraging them by recording uh, the event of Cain and Abel to say, yes, you are your brother's keeper. You must go over. So it's not just a insulated uh, story. It's really intended to kind of uh, affect the people's actions and attitudes and where they become more, as it were, you know, what in God, uh, you know, actions and attitudes, more Christ-like, as it were, if we're going to use that term, uh, even with the Old Testament. Yes. Oh, that's incredible. Well, you 
also give examples of literary devices that are used in the Bible and also in modern film and literature. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that was uh, kind of one of the things I enjoyed kind of researching is uh, where are these examples? Because if these are examples of good communicators, they're found throughout literature, you know, great literature and film throughout the days. Uh, and we see all these things uh, kind of present. Uh, I know there's a lot of, uh, you know, you have to be careful with using examples because, you know, sometimes the film or the uh, or the uh, the book has issues or concerns that might not be, you know, Christ honoring. Uh, but, you know, we have the Bible, too, with its uh, very graphic detail of sin and disobedience uh, that is there. But for instance, I think of like uh, the bookends. I think of like uh, Forrest Gump, a kind of a silly film from years ago. But it starts with a feather floating kind of in the air. And then the last scene of the film is the same thing, this feather kind of floating. And it's like that's a bookend. Uh, but it also, though, helps to realize that that is kind of a fitting kind of video for the whole middle of the, the whole the whole the film because he flits around from job to job from place to place and so that floating feather kind of you know randomly kind of drifting around uh is a perfect analogy of what's going on now that's a made-up story uh but we have all sorts of examples uh too in in film i think of star wars uh where you know, we have this uh, kind of what we call foreshadowing or uh, heads up where we kind of get this advanced kind of uh, information about what these could be happening. Uh, and again, for those of you who know Star Wars, you have uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi when he first meets Anakin, who is, again, going to turn out to be Darth Vader. Uh, he, you know, he says, I'm sure you'll be the death of me. And that's when we first read their, you know, in their first encounter, one of their first encounters. And sure enough, uh, in the, the, you know, the, the, well, the first film is the number four in the, in the, uh, uh, in the, in the, the whole Star Wars ecosystem is where you have mm -hmm. Darth Vader killing Obi-Wan. Uh, and so that little heads up kind of thing is there. And so a lot of the great films and great, uh, literature use these techniques. And so, we're not saying that these are bi hidden Bible things. These are just ways that all good communicators use. And uh, so hopefully our readers, uh, when they look at those examples, will kind of, oh, yeah, I see. Uh, and that's what now makes kind of watching film and reading books more even fun for me, realizing, okay, I can pick up on some of these techniques and, and really get benefit, not just out of reading my Bible, but also watching film and reading good literature. Mm, absolutely. I love how... On, just on the back of your book, you say that the Bible is God's masterpiece, a gift to you and claim it for all it's yes. worth. And I feel like these different techniques that you give us really do help us bring it to life. And if there's anyone listening to this podcast, perhaps I know when I was younger and remembered reading my Bible and thinking it was so hard to understand and all I feel like this would be such an encouraging uh, book to get to kind of to, to bring it to life. And if someone was going to do that, where do you suggest like that they start? Like if they're reading through your Bible or your book using um, the different examples and things that you ask them to do. In right. Yeah, it's it's a kind of book that's probably not good to read from start to finish. You know, it's uh, it's really something that you should kind of take 
uh, kind of like a vitamin, kind of take regular dosage. So I would encourage readers uh, either study in a group, uh, use it as a small group study, uh, and take the time to you know w- walk yourself through the content, look at the examples, and then I even give some further study kind of text that we can see these uh, kind of things at play, uh, and then uh, find somebody to dialogue with about them because it's going to really cinch it more in your thinking if you can uh, have a conversation with others about it, uh, but also you can help others uh, come along uh, along and improve their kind of more active reading skills uh, to be able to do this. I mean, that's the that's to me is the is the is the joy of it is the you know don't uh, don't go through start to finish. I mean, if it is, you'll be like drinking from a fire hydrant. Um, but the idea is, even if you are a Bible teacher, a small group leader, a pastor, and you're reading through this book, you'll get all sorts of fresh ideas for concepts you can preach or teach. Uh, so hopefully it'll stimulate you on that way. Uh, but it's really more than just giving content. I want to teach skills. And I think that's as a teacher, uh, that's my desires. I don't want to just give content. There's plenty of great content out there. I want to improve people's reading skills uh, so that they can see this on their own. And so that that, yes. you know, parable of, you know, if you give a man a fish, he'll, you know, he'll feed himself for a day. But if you teach a man on a fish, he can feed himself for a lifetime. And that's really my mm-hmm. desire with this book is I want to give people the tools to be able to uh, be able to really enjoy uh, the Bible uh, and read it with skill. Uh, that they can do this without having to sit under a podcast, under a pastor, under a commentary, where they can really get some exciting uh, insights just on their own, just by following uh, these these techniques. Yes, absolutely. And I love how you lay out the book with like the sort of chunk of information at the beginning of each chapter that sort of gives you a summary, right, right of what is this particular one about. And then something that we haven't yet talked about and maybe you can share a little bit is the prevalence. So these different techniques apply to some parts of the Bible and not necessarily all parts of the Bible. Can you elaborate a little bit more? on Yeah, that? I, I've always been frustrated uh, when even like with how to study the Bible, you think that this is a technique that's going to be present everywhere. Uh, well, a lot of these techniques deal with narrative, but then others can deal with any kind of text. Uh, so the, the X marks the spot, chiasm, uh, that can be found in all sorts of texts. So that's pretty prevalent. Uh, but when we're talking about step up to the mic and looking for quotation marks, uh, that's going to be only in those narrative books. So, you know, Genesis, Joshua, you know, uh, Acts, the Gospels, it's not going to be found typically in, a, in an epistle. Uh, and so just to be aware that, you know, you have to have some sensitivity to kind of the, the style of writing or what we call the genre uh, that you're reading, because the biblical authors have certain rules or techniques that work well in those uh, different styles and don't always work across the board. And so uh, being somewhat sensitive to uh, the fact that that and I think for most of us, if we're sitting down and reading large chunks uh, just being aware of of some of these things uh, will really help. And uh, they can uh, really, in a sense, freshen up uh, your engagement with God's word and make it more uh, to where you're invigorated. And I think that's uh, what it's done for me, because now uh, whenever I open up a page of, of the scriptures, I'm, I'm looking for these things and I'm finding great, great 
observations to kind of work with then for me to kind of slow down and, and ponder. Uh, and, but yet the frustrating thing, and I think this is uh, something that uh, expectation I think we have to deal with, that biblical authors are not going to telegraph uh, what they're focusing on all the time. They have little clues, little things. And so uh, God is amazing that he's given us a mind. Uh, he's given us the ability to process and think about these things. Some of these are, are, are slow cooked uh, kind of, of, of meals and they're not going to come, you know, like a two by four upside the head. Uh, they're going to, they're going to just kind of, you know, kind of subtly sink in and all of a sudden, oh, okay, I see what you're up to here. Uh, and it's not that they're trying to hide it. They're not trying to, you know, be, you know, keep these things, but they, they want the, the reader oftentimes because subtleness is really the importance. Any parent knows that you, you know, you have to be, you know, kind of subtle with how you respond to your children. Uh, and so I always uh, kind of uh, use the example when my grand, middle grandson was, uh, he wasn't eating for a while. Uh, and so we would have these kind of Fruit Loops, uh, kind of dry cereal when we would go out. And I say, don't eat the green ones. Grandpa likes the green ones. Well, I knew exactly what I was doing. I didn't, couldn't care less about the green ones, but he could, I could see him picking up the green ones and eating he was accomplishing what I wanted him to do, which was to eat. Uh, and he was thinking he was using sinful human nature, kind of having one up on grandpa, which that was my goal. Uh, and so I'm, I'm smiling by him doing that. But yet, if you look on the surface, it looks like he's being disobedient. But it's, it's really, uh, you know, the, the beauty of how communicators work to kind of uh, bring across what they want to do, but not always in a straight line way. Yes. Oh, that's, that's, I feel like that is such a gift too. I mean, I think we can all get to those conclusions, uh, but I, some people are so gifted at it. I was thinking of our, our pastor, Pastor David Geese, and like when your pastor shares uh, a message too, I love how, you know, you, if you've been reading some of these books of the Bible on your own, and then you hear the, in the sermon illustration, I think it will really like all those things just coming together. It's layer upon layer of information and just adding to your knowledge and understanding and certainly the overarching theme of the Bible and seeing how God is. Amen. Amen. Well, tell us about, um, as we start to wrap things up here, what, what challenges did you encounter when writing this book and how did you get through that? Well, first of all, any author knows that there's challenges with uh, even just pitching a book to get published. Uh, and so, mm -hmm. you know, just even uh, kind of creating the concept. You know, I remember having conversations with Moody uh, Publishers, a great, uh, great partner in this. But like, who's your intended audience? It's like, OK, anybody who reads the Bible uh, but they want, you know, they want more specific because, you know, they have to market, they have to uh, target uh, these different uh, kind of uh, resources. Uh, so once I uh, got over that, that was hard but uh, to, to get in. But then it, they've been great to work with, uh, you know, I have great editors and, and uh, great promoters. And so it's been really fun. I think the challenge for me is uh, I wanted the book the principles to just kind of stand in their own without me being in the in the in the, in the light. 
and they kept on pushing back. You need personal illustrations. You need examples here uh, to humanize this. I say, I, I just, I, I want just the techniques to speak for themselves. And so they kept on pushing me to put in personal analogies and illustrations. And it did make it a really strong book, but I was fighting it because I think, you know, as, as I'm a teacher, but not everybody uh, is like that. And I, I need to realize that, you know, the, it is helpful to kind of realize that, you know, putting some human touches and personal illustrations and analogies uh, does make the book more more engaging rather than just straight content. But for me, I, I can deal with straight content and just put into practice. Uh, but so that was uh, that was a big challenge. But I think uh, I really want to thank my editors for pushing me, uh, even though I was uh, kicking and screaming in the process, but it does make it a strong book. Yes. And I, I loved your personal examples. That's kind of, um, I think as the reader <laughs> gives me encouragement too. And right. it sees yeah. that you're uh, one of us too, um, in encountering the different things that we do just in our daily lives and how you can use God's word. Amen. Well, Jim, tell us how anyone can learn more about both you and your book. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, getting a copy of the book is, is paramount. So, of course, you can order it through Amazon or through Moody Publishers uh, and get it uh, and, and, you know, and just get a hold of it. And just start looking, leafing through it at first. I think you'll get a, a good overview just by kind of perusing it. Uh, but then just, uh, you know, find a chapter that really you don't have to read it from, you know, chapter one to chapter 14. Uh, you can pick up and, and kind of start anywhere. They don't really build upon necessarily each other. Uh, but uh, that's uh, that's uh, what I would say. But I would say get a study buddy, get somebody that you can partner with. Uh, I know uh, a church is going to use it for small group uh, for Sunday school. Uh, so I'm excited already to see that. And that's really what I kind of designed it uh, for is to kind of uh, be lessons that can easily kind of be used in a small group or in a, in a church groups kind of setting. Uh, and that's really uh, uh, where I think it would really kind of take root uh, more more deeply mm -hmm. uh, if people, you know, kind of talk about these things uh, and be able to see that uh, kind of come together like that. Sure. And I imagine the more you do it, the more it does kind of become second nature as you go on to your next book of the Bible that you're studying. And that was one of the things. Your brain will start of, to look for those. Yeah, things. that was an aha moment for me with this book because I wrote all 14 chapters. I said, well, let me, because, you know, it's kind of like cherry picking. You know, you can give examples of just about anything, you know, th throughout the whole richness of the Bible. I said, let me just choose a book of the Bible and look for how these techniques are all present in one book. And sure enough, the book of Daniel, uh, they're all present. Uh, now, some of them are not as strong as maybe others, uh, but they're all present there. And so it really was confirmation to me that, yeah, this can help you uh, not just uh, pick up a few things, but really any kind of having a strategy anytime you read a book of the Bible uh, they have these strategies in, in play, uh, really will uh, freshen up uh, your uh, engagement with God's word. Ah, oh, yes, absolutely. Well, we will put a link in our show notes so you can uh, purchase the book. I was thinking too, even for my own self, like kind of making a laminated sheet of like that I could just kind of slip in my Bible so that I can remember. That's a good, that's a good thing. Um, I should, uh, you know, yeah. 
but just your names here, like launching pad. Okay, that we need to focus on the content of the first chapters and just the little notes that will uh, bring it back. Well, I want to ask you a couple sure. of questions here, our favorite questions before we let you go. What Bible is your go-to Bible and what translation is it? Boy, it has moved around over the years. And I, I, as a teacher, I have uh, gone through, I, I, whenever people ask me, what's uh, what's my you know book that I use, what Bible that I use, uh, I always say it all depends on what I'm studying or what I'm doing. Uh, if, I'm, uh, if I'm studying, I really like the New American Standard. Uh, if I'm just uh, kind of in a group setting, the, I think the ESV has been great. Uh, I do like the Net Bible uh, because it's a combination. The text is more what we call a functional translation text, but the notes are like formal. They give me the details of the Greek and Hebrew. Uh, so I really like that. Uh, man, there's uh, just any one of them. I really uh, I like to, to kind of share the wealth of the, the different uh, strategies and beauties of the translations that we do have available. Mm. Uh, so I'm not the a one 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 book one Bible only person. I like to uh, share right. the wealth there. Excellent. Hey, those those I, I'm familiar with ESV. I'm not familiar with the Net. Is that just any? Yeah, it's a Net Bible. It's not the Internet Bible. It's a New English translation. It was put together by a number of people from Dallas Theological Seminary. Um, and so uh, for the for a long time, it was really only available on the Internet. But now you can get it in, in hard copy form. And it, it really is a, a, a good all around Bible tool uh, because the notes are extensive, uh, but they cover kind of the, you know, the issues they they raise. Because oftentimes we don't know what the Bible translators did to make a decision about how they're rendering the text. Mm -hmm. With the Net Bible, the notes kind of give you clues as to why they rendered it a certain way. And it really does kind of give you an insight kind of behind this, the smoke and mirrors of uh, the translation decisions that were made by the different publications. And so you can kind of get it right there in front of you to look at. So that's a great resource. Oh, okay. We'll make sure we put links to all those in the show notes. How about, do you have any favorite journaling supplies or anything that you like to use to enhance your Bible study experience? Yeah, I tend to uh, avoid writing in my books. Uh, I like pristine reading, you know, without those kind of things. But I do, uh, one of the things I do quite often is I will listen to audible Bibles, audio, uh, you know, oral mm -hmm. renditions of the Bible. And so when I'm doing walking or I'm uh, commuting, and I like to listen to whole books. So, you know, having the whole book from start to finish. So, you know, listening to the Gospel of Matthew in a couple hours, uh, or if I'm out uh, walking just to pop in uh, one of the, the books of the Bible, especially one that I'm studying. I'm going to be uh, working on the book of Matthew for Today in the Word devotionals for uh, next year. And so I'm going to start, you know, listening to Matthew on a really regular basis. And one of those will be just constantly listening to different versions of the of the Gospel of Matthew in different translations. And that really, to me, uh, really kind of gets my juices flowing. Oh, I love that suggestion. Okay, great idea. Uh, lastly, what's your favorite app or website for Bible study tools? Yeah, probably the, uh, I do like uh, the Bible Project. Uh, I think they are doing some great work. Uh, and so I listen to their podcasts on a regular basis. Uh, I also uh, use some of their videos in class. Uh, and they really are, I think, uh, helping people to to get more engaged with the Bible and to uh, track along the themes of the, of the biblical 
authors themselves. And uh, so I think they're doing a phenomenal job. Uh, and so I, I really uh, in, kind of enjoy listening and using uh, their resources. And I know a lot of others do as well. Yes. Ah, excellent resource. And we'll put their link below as well. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Oh, you are so welcome. And I, I hope that all of our listeners will uh, just be encouraged by the fact that they can they can really ramp up their Bible reading. And it's not hard. It's not like you need a college degree. These are really simple uh, things you can put into practice. And just by, uh, by tracking some of these things, it really will uh, make your Bible really come alive. Oh, it sure will. You can pick up a copy of James Coakley's book, The 14 Fresh Ways to Enjoy the Bible. We will have the link in our show notes. Do that today and get started. Lastly, head over to the Coffee and Bible Time website for our prayer journals that will help guide and document your prayer life at coffeeandbibletime.com. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. We love you all. Have a blessed day.